This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Wiser Books. Wiser Books is celebrating 60 years of publishing the very best in occult and esoterica. You can check out their extensive and inspiring range of reading material by going to wiserbooks.com. That's W-E-I-S-E-R books.com. Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Witch Baby Soap. Do you like to dwell in the shadows but stay squeaky clean? Then Witch Baby Soap is the soap for you. They make fabulous occult-themed body products like coffin-shaped bath balms, tarot card soap, and crystal-embedded body butters. Their recipes are made with magical intentions, and they're free of all of those nasty things like sulfates and parabens. And now you can get 15% off orders using offer code WITCHWAVE. That's WITCHWAVE, one word, on witchbabysoap.com. So get ready to wind down, lather up, and get some Witch Baby Soap products using offer code WITCHWAVE now. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. I know it's staying lighter, longer, and that is a truly magnificent thing. But today I actually want to focus on the topic of darkness. Because even though it's sunnier out, and I am loving that in many, many respects, I confess I've been battling with my own shadow side lately in various forms. And as much as I appreciate the glorious weather, and I truly do, sometimes the sun and the warmth can throw one's inner turmoil and struggles into high relief. It's beautiful out, and so I should be shining too, shouldn't I? I should be smiling and radiant and full of cheer, and why aren't I, and what's wrong with me, and why am I still so gray, and can you relate to this at all? Well, the fact of the matter is, While the cycles of nature can certainly affect us, sometimes the heart goes through its own season. In times like these, I try and remind myself that darkness is nothing to fear and that it brings its own gifts and its own magic. This past weekend, I moderated a conversation with the artist Jesse Bransford, who was a guest on the show recently, and another great esoteric artist named Elizabeth Insonia. We were gathered at Jesse's current art show, and we were discussing some drawings he's done of the Ten Mahavidyas, which are ten Hindu goddesses of wisdom. 
Each of these 10 goddesses is said to represent a different energy or emanation of consciousness. And some could say that there are all different facets of the great goddess that's within everything. At first glimpse, some of these goddesses might seem a bit softer or lighter than others, such as Tara, who is a deity of protection and knowledge. She seems nice, doesn't she? Who wouldn't want to spend time with her? On the other hand, another one of the ten Mahavidyas is Dumavati, a goddess of death and suffering. Her name translates to the smoky one. And in tantric practice, she's considered a widow goddess who represents loss, decay, and deterioration. Well then, maybe Dumavati is not going to be first on your list of party invites. After all, who wants to hang around in the charnel grounds voluntarily? Who wants to suffer? But Dumavati is also a goddess of dissolution. She melts away illusion and superficiality, so that we can see the truth of things. One of her epithets is the tender-hearted goddess, and she is also a bestower of boons and supernatural powers. She's a solitary goddess who dwells in places of seclusion or liminality, and so she may hold your hand while you are walking in your own deterioration or isolation. She's reminiscent of the death card in tarot, which isn't necessarily about a literal death, but usually represents transformation, a shifting from one state into another, which, yes, may include some grief and mourning and definitely teaches us to let go of old ways of being. And so there is great beauty and there are great lessons to be found in the dark. I've also been thinking about Lilith, the Mesopotamian goddess who, much later in world mythology, became the predecessor to Eve. Lilith was Adam's first wife, and their marriage didn't go so well. As legend has it, she refused to submit to him. Sometimes stories say she refused to lie beneath him. But in any case, she was cast out from the Garden of Eden. Her name translates to Night Monster or Screech Owl. And she is considered a mother of demons and darkness. All of that said, she is also a goddess who has become sacred to modern witches because she is a goddess of independence, free will, and sublime beauty. Interestingly, some theorize that Lilith later morphed into the Strix, the monstrous owl in Roman lore. And the word Strix later evolved into Strega, which, as you probably know, became the catch-all Italian word for witch. And so the link between nocturnal goddesses, owls, and witches is thousands of years old. 
And this reminds me that there is deep power and an inner luminosity to dark archetypes, or as our former guest Kristen Soleil calls them, darketypes. There are lessons to learn and even loving comforts that we can find by traversing our own fields of trials and tragedies. We all have diurnal night times, stretches of shadow that are with us even in the light of day. Dumavati, Lilith, and other dark goddesses can guide us during these times or even just keep us company. We need only to be patient, to sit in our sorrow, and listen to the lessons that these deities softly whisper to us. They are here to protect us and heal us and inspire us too, even though they might seem scary at first or unsettling. They are not all negative. And neither is our suffering. These dark goddesses can bring us through our pain to a more purified, more potent state of being. That is what I wish for you. That is what I wish for me. That is what I wish for this whole world right now, which in my estimation is definitely going through a shadow period. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that there is light waiting for us on the other side. Speaking of deities and witches, today's guest, Judica Illes, is no stranger to dark goddess energy. She is a world-renowned witch and writer who has authored dozens of spell encyclopedias and books on witchcraft and the occult. On this episode, we discuss magic-making, transformation, and yes, the deep power of Lilith. But before we get to that, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! A writes, In late February, I had a traumatic experience at work. I was sexually harassed and assaulted by a coworker. After digesting what happened, I reported it. To say that justice was served is a complete misstatement. After the disappointment and utter disaster of the investigation, I turned to my tarot deck for catharsis. I drew a reversed justice card. Since the whole debacle, it was creepy and eerie to draw such an insightful card. The reading said everything that I was dealing with. I was angry and feeling vengeful about the outcome. I wanted justice to be served and felt like I had been let down. It warned of wanting revenge, but it is how I feel. Even though I knew the odds of getting validation for my trauma would likely not happen. I hoped, but it didn't work out. Hi, A. First of all, I am deeply sorry to hear about your experience at work. I believe you, and you absolutely don't deserve to be the victim of any sort of harassment or assault. That sort of behavior 
is 100% unacceptable. And I'm so proud of you for coming forward to report it and to share your story here as well. And look, we're in a profound historical moment of truth telling about abuse and sexual harassment with Time's Up and the Me Too movement gaining traction with each passing day. But there's also so much more work to be done. And while it's true that some of the abusers are finally facing consequences, there are thousands, if not millions of others who have still gotten away with their toxic and damaging behavior. And I'm so sorry that your abuser is one of the people who seems to be getting off scot-free right now. That must be a really painful thing to have to work through. And I don't blame you for feeling vengeful in some moments. I think it's great that you are turning to spiritual tools to help give you guidance and bring you strength. And reading tarot is absolutely a phenomenal method to help anchor you during a time of feeling unmoored. But here's the thing to know about tarot, or any sort of magic, as we discuss a little later on this episode. It doesn't necessarily work in the same time frame that we do. This tarot reading may be referencing something that will happen weeks or months or years later. It may be spotlighting something that is happening right now or that has happened in your past that is still influencing you in the present. And finally, I like to remind people that reversals in a tarot reading don't necessarily mean it's the opposite of the card. I like to think of reversals as unconscious energy that has yet to be expressed or a vibrational current that's more underground right now and has yet to emerge. So it could be that this justice card being reversed doesn't necessarily mean that justice won't be served. It could just mean that it's going to take some time for it to become fully realized or that it's going to bubble up in a way that might be different than the ways in which you're imagining. I truly hope this is the case here. I hope that down the road, this person will have to face up to what they did to you. I suggest that for the time being, you focus on what you can control. You focus on not letting those vengeful feelings consume you. Also, you've reported this person to the proper authorities, but there may be a couple other things that you can do or steps you can take, whether it's people you can tell, support groups you can join, a desk you can move, I don't know. But even if you've done all that you can or what you feel currently able to do, you must focus on healing yourself. Because if you continue to suffer because of this asshole's heinous behavior, that would be very unjust indeed. I am sending you lots of strength, solidarity, and unwavering love. Now, on to my guest. Judica Illiz is an author, a teacher, and a longtime practicing witch. She has written over a dozen witchcraft classics, such as The Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells, The Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, and Magic When You Need It. 
As an editor at Wiser Books, she's also put together anthologies of speculative fiction, including The Wiser Book of the Fantastic and Forgotten and The Wiser Book of Occult Detectives. I'm particularly partial to her Wiser Field Guide to Witches, which is a compendium of historical and fictional witches through the ages. And, as if she wasn't busy enough, Judica speaks and teaches at conferences and shops around the globe, and she also has a private practice where you can hire her for metaphysical consultations. Judica is one of the kindest and most knowledgeable witches and people overall that I know, so I was thrilled to have her join me on a gloriously gloomy day here in my Brooklyn apartment. Judica Illiz, welcome to the Witch Wave. Thank you, Pam. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here in the flesh. What a joy and an honor it is to see you. So you are one of the few people that I would consider an actual professional witch. You are a polymath, a writer, an editor, a teacher. You've written four encyclopedias of magic and tons and tons of other books, uh, some of which we'll talk about today. So first I have to ask you, how the hell do you find the time to do all of this? Well, I don't sleep. (laughs) First of all, sleep is overrated. I don't really sleep very much. I just do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm always stretched very thin. And I think there are probably people listening going, oh, that's why she hasn't answered my email. But that is why I haven't answered your email. Exactly. One of the books that I want to start talking about is perhaps the book that you're most famous for, which is your Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells. This thing is 1,108 pages, is that right? Yes. And there are literally thousands upon thousands of spells. Oh, no, there are 5,000. They counted. There's more. There there are more. Oh, no, once you call it... The publisher was wed to the concept of 5,000 spells, and once you name a book... 5,000 spells or any number, you you know that there will be a reader who is at home counting them. <laughs> so if you have the book and you look to the side of the little of the book, each spell has like a little graphic next to it. Mm-hmm. That's how they know how many spells are in there because they counted the graphics. Oh my goodness. Plus there are more. Plus oh. there are some of the text that are not counted. So there's more. And this book is so comprehensive. You're drawing spells from so many different traditions and cultural groups. Um, You have everything in there from animal magic to good luck spells, protection spells. You know, you talk about certain deities. I mean, this is really an encyclopedia in the traditional sense of the word. It it became one. That wasn't uh, the original intent. It was my third spell book. This is my third book. I had written two smaller spell books before this. And the publisher who knew I collected spells, I had done a earlier book with 150, talked me into it. I, it was not originally, I didn't necessarily want to do it originally, but he talked me into it. And they already had the number 5,000 in mind. And the luxury of doing a book like this is you're able 
to do all these spells. Yes. You can do all kinds of practical spells, impractical spells. You you can do different versions. There is, you know, the fa- the famous um, anti-gossip beef tongue spell. I- I've got like half a dozen versions in there, plus one for vegans. So, <laughs> you, you know. Is that a soy tongue it would use? Ice. Oh. Ice. ice. Okay. <laughs> We're going to ice that tongue. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. Makes sense. But, um, y- you know, that that was the luxury of doing that book because in my previous books, you had to choose which version of this spell do I, do I want. I have formulas for Florida water, and the first two books have different formulas. But, uh, you know, it's, it's like a brownie cookbook. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have a cookbook with, you know, 100 recipes for brownies. You could do the same thing with Florida water. You could have 100 different formulas. Well, I, I love that you mentioned that because I think so many people have the, perhaps the misconception that there is only one correct recipe for, say, no. Florida water or one no. great good luck spell from a certain tradition. And I really love the fact that you show that these spells are adaptable yes. and they change depending on the they need context. to evolve if there are, if anything that is alive has to evolve and you have to make it work for you mm-hmm. and you know people are oh five thousand that's so many it's nothing in the, in, in the capacity i mean it's it's something for me to have written it but in the scope of spells spells are like the stars in the sky the grains of sand on the beach you could do ten thousand twenty thousand it's endless and, you know, you, they're always evolving as, you know, now there are uh, spells with, uh, with uh, technology, mm-hmm. with the internet, with mm-hmm. computers. Mm-hmm. They didn't have that 100 years ago. Emoji spells. Emoji spells, yep. right. Mm-hmm. And who knows what we'll have in 50 years or 100 years. It'll be something we can't even conceive of yet. I love that. And so if someone was to read a recipe or a spell mm-hmm. in this book, and let's say they have three out of four of the ingredients. What do you tell them about that fourth ingredient? It depends on the spell. It depends on the ingredient. There's no one answer to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes there is no substitution. Mm. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there are, you know, for a simple money spell, you know, green leafy plants are used in money spells because they evoke cash. Mm-hmm. And so... If you don't have a basil leaf, which is very popular, you could use a cabbage leaf. Mm-hmm. But there are items that are very unique and their powers are very unique and you can't just switch them out for someone else. That's like, you know, there, there's an old blues song, you know, if, if you can't go, your sister will go. It, it's the equivalent of, well, you know, if you're too busy, I'll just take some girl who looks like you. Mm. It, it, it's, it's a little insulting. Um, you know, you, you have your own unique power and you are your own unique person and you can't just, you know... Any brunette will do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes, sometimes if you can't find the ingredients, it means you should look for another spell. Okay. Okay. You know, spells are for smart people. It, it's not, even though they look like recipes, it's not like a cake mix. Mm-hmm. If you buy a box of mac and cheese or a cake mix, there are directions. And if you follow the directions, ideally you get what looks, you know, the picture on the box. Mm-hmm. But spells are mysterious. And they're powerful. And it's not that predictable. Even though they do work, they work in mysterious ways sometimes. So you need to look at the ingredients and think about why they're there. Mm -hmm. It's not random. Nothing in a spell should be random. Mm -hmm. 
The book that I wrote after that was the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft. And the first section, and they had to talk me into writing that one also. <laughs> the, the first section I wrote was a section on plants because as I was completing 5,000 spells, I was very frustrated because in order to get 5,000 spells into even a 1,000-plus page book, you don't have a lot of extra room. And so I couldn't really explain why. Why, why is this ingredient in this spell? Because it, it might look like I'm making it up or it might look like it's random. Like, why, why apples and not oranges? Mm-hmm. Why this herb and not that herb? But there's a reason. Mm-hmm. Even if, it, you know, you may not need to know the reason for the spell to work, but there is a reason. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to write a section in Encyclopedia of Witchcraft that talked about witchcraft plants and the powers, the unique powers to each plant. So that, you know, hopefully people would read that also and go, oh, wow, that's why that's in that spell. And they can then make their own spells yes. too. Yes, yes, yes. Which I think um, that's one of the things I often try to impart on people that absolutely spell books are crucial for basic understanding and they're wonderful as references. And sure, if you only want to use spell books, do. But also we all have the power to create our own spells as well. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. And, and you know, spells have all been created by human beings. Every spell was created by at least one human being and then tweaked by many others, especially those spells. They're spells that have lasted thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they've evolved. But everybody is different. And and I get a lot of mail about this. So (laughs) everybody is different. And we are, even an individual is sometimes at a different place at different times. And sometimes it's very powerful and fun and effective to tweak a spell or create your own spell. And sometimes people are nervous about that and they want to follow the directions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even the most gifted adventurous spellcaster is having a hard time and you just want someone to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And it's all good. Yes. You know, it's all supposed to be there to make your life better. And if it's doing that, it's fine. Whatever it's doing to make your life better, then it's working. That's great. That's yeah. great. So I have to ask, how did you how did you write a book of 5,000 spells? I mean, without giving all your secrets away. No, what, there's no secret. What there's was the no methodology? Secret. Because, oh, my an... goodness, that sounds like well, such a daunting it, it, task. And you, you did it four times. Um, well, it was, it was an evolutionary process for me, too. I have a very large unpublished manuscript that is probably the prototype for 5,000 spells that I began in the late 1980s. It's a large book on fertility, on methods of getting pregnant that don't involve um, infertility technology. Mm -hmm. And originally it was a personal thing for me, Mm -hmm. and I was looking for things for myself. And then, and I I am my own testimonial, I, I, I have two children, but it hooked me. Mm. It was really, really interesting material and, you know, herbs and goddesses and all sorts of stuff. And I was, you know, and even after I didn't need it anymore, I was I started researching and researching it and I just kept doing it. And um, I there was a point in my life where I was not in a happy place and I was not in a good relationship. And um, I live with someone who sometimes didn't come home or, you know, you didn't know who was coming home. Mm -hmm. So I would stay up all night and just research. Because that's, you know, that's what I did. 
And I kept coming across really interesting things that had nothing to do with what I was researching. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, I had my blinders on, and I only focused on what was my topic. But then, you know, the stuff would itch at me. Wow, that is so interesting, and I bet it's useful for someone. Mm -hmm. And so I would just start, I just started keeping files. I have like long boxes of file cards, Ah. just boxes and boxes. And I just, it's, it's where I met Maria Padilla. You know, because I just found her and I thought, oh, this is interesting. Will you tell listeners who that is? Maria Padilla. Maria Padilla. And, and, you know, her name was translated wrong and I knew it had to be wrong. Maria Padilla is is actually a historical person. She was an uncrowned queen of Spain who um, is a very tragic love story. And she was perceived as a witch in her lifetime. And after she died, became venerated by uh, the gypsies, the Gitanos of Iberia, when they were transported forcibly to uh, Portuguese colonies in Brazil, they brought her with them, and she evolved into uh, a goddess. You know, she was sort of a fairy queen in Spain, but she became this very, very profound goddess who was incorporated into these African diaspora traditions and is... Um, and, you know, and her name was being translated as Little Mary Sandalfoot. Oh. And I was looking at the description. I'm going, this can't be right. And it, it itched at me. Mm-hmm. You know, it just itched. I couldn't leave it alone. So I went back and started researching her. Mm-hmm. And I just started putting stuff together. Meanwhile, I was trying to publish my fertility book, which for a variety of reasons has never been published. But a publisher liked my chapter on magic spells and said, an unsolicited manuscript, I mean, it's really, it's, it's a sort of a wild story. Uh, he liked that chapter and said, could you do a book on this? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, of course. And I did. And then I wrote another book for him. And he was the one who came up with 5,000 Spells. Mm-hmm. But I think he remembered the older book. And he knew I had this. And I, I still, you know, I still collect new spells. You know, so you just live amongst this library of spells. I, oh, I love the researching. We were talking earlier before we started taping, you know, um, I don't love writing. I do it. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. work for me, but mm-hmm. I love the research. Yes, yes. The research is, is, if I could just do that, if I could siphon the words out of my brain onto the paper. Yes. You know? Oh, I, just, I can relate. Oh, yes. yeah. I love having written, but not the writing. So looping back to the um, original question, did you only rely on this library of spells or were you kind of um, asking other people to send you spells or was it more of a solitary? Originally, originally it was very solitary. I was living in Los Angeles in the beginning and I was a very solitary person there. Originally, I I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I was just doing this for myself. I did not have an intention of publishing it. Mm -hmm. I was just researching and cataloging. You know, I I have the soul of a librarian. Yes. And that's all I was doing at that point. And mainly, I mean, some of the spells in that book are mine. They're they're creations of mine. Some of the things are, um, nothing is really directly out of a book. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is filtered through through my vision, through mm-hmm. my words, through, you know, there's no sort of cutting and pasting there. Uh, some of the things were not written in spell form. I, I read a lot of books by missionaries mm-hmm. who went to the South Seas and other places and talked about the witch doctors they met and talked about what they saw people doing and often with a lot of disapproval. And I tried to get behind them. I tried to see through their eyes 
what were they seeing without the disapproval? Mm -hmm. What were these shamans and witch doctors and witches, what were they trying to preserve or demonstrate or communicate? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hope I I did them justice. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, once I actually started writing the book, uh, you know, Everybody who, who helped me is in the acknowledgments, but I mean, I would I would call people up. The, the, I mean, it's a whole story. We didn't we lost a file of spells. It's, mm. it's a, you know, Sandy Liss, who owns Soul Journey in Butler, New Jersey, can attest. I was like calling her up. Give me a spell. <gasps> <laughs> Teach me a spell. Yes. I need two more spells. Yes, yes. I don't have any animal cruelty spells in there. There there are no spells in there that spells are, against animal. There are no cruelty. spells that involve animal parts there there is there is a section for animals but those are spells to benefit animals what about that tongue you were just talking about Uh, that's 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 a um something you get at the butcher that's something you get at the butcher do not do not mutilate a cow (laughs) okay do not mutilate a cow if if you eat at an old school deli or a german restaurant there will be beef tongue on the menu yes go to a butcher and get a beef tongue yes so speaking of beef tongue, um, <laughs> this is this is quite a segue. But my father loves eating tongue sandwiches yeah. at a Jewish deli. Yeah. Um, it's like, a very old school food. Yes, and like me, you were raised Jewish, yeah. and so I'd love to hear about. Okay, you're this Jewish kid. How did you become a witch? When did this happen? I incorporate everything. I just grow. I, I don't see that there's a conflict necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean. Possibly a rabbi might not agree with me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not necessarily a conventional person, and I did. I wasn't raised by conventional people, mm-hmm. so I mean that wasn't. Um, yeah, I, I think that there is a huge school of Jewish magic mm-hmm. and many Jewish witches, in in the same way that there are, you know, Sufi magic and and you know I know people don't like it, but I know a lot of people who self-identify as Christian witches. Who me am too. I, me who too. am I to say they're not? Yep. Y- you know we have to let people identify themselves. No, I, I you know, and I, I, I don't find that it's contradictory. Mm-hmm. When did you start identifying as a witch always. or realizing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I don't have a point. Always, always, always. You just knew. Always. You know, I, I thought the witch, the wizard, I used to hate watching the Wizard of Oz because they killed the witch. Mm. Um, but I had a witch-friendly mother. You know, I mean, when she told me stories, I, you know, the witch was not the bad person. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother taught me Baba Yaga. Yes. You know, I learned it from my mother orally. And, uh, you know, she, I mean, you know, okay, yeah, she is a cannibal, but <laughs> she's also the heroine of the story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because, you know, things are complicated. Yes. And witchcraft and magic, if you want the world to be really black and white, you know, good bad it it's hard mm-hmm. i think it's a hard field to be in because everyone has their reasons and people's desires are complicated and people aren't easily put into boxes and you can say oh this person is this or this person is that whether ethnically or religiously or philosophically and you know we don't fit into boxes mm-hmm. and, you know i have aquarius rising i don't fit into boxes <laughs> yeah. it's it's not my nature yeah so you know i i take my background and you know there's there's uh you know, some Romani ancestry in my family, too. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't, you know, there are a lot of really Christ, devout Christian Romanis who absolutely have n- want nothing to do with the old image of the card reader. Yeah. And I, I don't know, you know, I, I just, I just 
I try to respect all my ancestors mm-hmm. and my if you do your DNA and your genealogy, I think most of us will find surprises in the closet. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I try to honor all of them and not reject any of them. Well, I definitely want to hear more about your ancestors. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Blood Milk Jewels. I have loved blood milk for years because each piece of their jewelry has a story that adds to its aesthetics and talismanic qualities. Their designs are inspired by seances and surrealism and shadowy goddesses and so many more of my favorite things. They use materials like sterling silver and natural crystals and gemstones such as moonstone, labradorite, and onyx. And so each piece is crafted to be psychic armor. I also love that they've been handmade in Philadelphia using local resources since 2008 and that it's a female-owned and operated company. So check out bloodmilkjewels.com and adorn yourself with dark, sparkling beauty. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Judica Illis. So Judica, you were just talking about your ancestors, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and how that may or may not not have informed your practice as a witch. Oh, I think our ancestors inform all our practices no matter what we do. And they're doing this really interesting research now, but genetic memory Mm -hmm. and the things that are passed on, uh, you know, whether talent or trauma or all sorts of things. And I, um, I'm always cautious, you know, with people who will say things like, you know, all my ancestors are Italian or, you know, all my ancestors are Jewish or, or whatever it is. You know, your ancestors are exponential and people travel. And I think it's the nature of people to um, be interested in other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a healthy interest. So, I mean, I, I, it was very interesting because I, I, I venerate a... Uh, I, I am a, I am a promiscuous spirit lover. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, and I mean that's also something that is, um, I think, dependent on the individual. There are people who serve one goddess or one saint, and I've got you know I am like the bartender to the spirits. I <laughs> I keep my liquor store, and, and, and you know I don't even drink any of it. I but I keep them in business, just you know, constantly buying for these different divinities, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it it is my nature. But when I went back and I actually did the DNA and was able to go back only on, you know, only on one line of my family who knows what else is lurking in the closet. Mm. You know, I found Persians, I found Africans, I found all sorts of, so I feel like I, I, um, you know, was I expecting to find Persians? No, mm-hmm. Armenians. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I know I speak personally. I, I think it is a very valuable thing to do to, as a magical person, if you can do your DNA if you can do, you know, and whether it's the recent DNA, whether it's the haplogroups, and if you start doing it, you'll know what I'm talking about. I don't know what that is. Oh, the haplogroups are, are, are the root ancestry. Where does your father's 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 all the way back? Or your mother's 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 and all the way back? And you were able to find that because... 23 and me will do it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because no, that's not a hard thing to do. That's one, a blood test. Okay. I've done the blood test, but one of the challenges I've found as someone of Jewish ancestry is that the records just only go oh, back no. for a no. few generations. Uh, it, it depends. 
Okay. That, that's, we could do a whole show on okay. that. Sometimes, okay. We'll put a pin in that do you one. Know, sometimes I want to be like a genealogist. I think what's my next career yeah. because I, it's detective work. Yes. There, there are actually, depending where you are, there are better records than you think, but you have to, I love the research. Yeah. I, you know, you're an excavator. I am. You? An, it is like, it is like being an excavator. Yeah. yeah. You can find it. It's, it's not easy, but you can find it. So do you feel as though your spirits, your ancestors, your deities are all around you yes. all the time? Yeah, behind mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And do you have certain deities that you have a particular relationship with, kinship with, that you feel comfortable sharing on, on this show? Oh, I mean, I don't think it's a secret. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if you read my books, you know, I try to be very neutral. I think Encyclopedia of Spirits, if you read it carefully, y- you know who I love and who I don't. Yes. <laughs> well, I know that you and I share a love of Lilith. Right. It's my daughter's middle name. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And I got a Lilith candle from you yeah. um, maybe about a year ago now yeah. when I really Lilith needed it. Lilith was the first sacred being that I actually had. I would say a direct personal connection with, Mm -hmm. which is a very profound experience because I know for a lot of people it's metaphor, Mm -hmm. but if to actually have that direct connection with the divine where you put something out there and you actually get an answer, Mm. it's like being struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was, I would say one of the most profound experiences of my life. When was that? Oh, um, 19... Oh, see, I'm so old. Um, 19, 1989. Oh, 1989. Yeah. At first I thought you said 1919. I was like, you're oh, not that old. In Jessica. my past life. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, did you, were you communing with Lilith intentionally? I had a very interesting experience. Uh, and I, you know, when I have dreams about other people, I tell people these dreams, even if it seems trivial to me. I had put out a petition and I was at the time working as a travel consultant. I worked as a corporate travel agent. And we were in an office with cubicles. And the woman in the cubicle next to me is the least metaphysical person on earth. No interest in any of it. But, you know, we would go out to lunch and she, you know, she sure. was my friend. Sure. But um, no interest in common. And I had been on vacation. I went on vacation shortly after that. And she tracked me down at great personal effort. She had to find... She had to call people to find... I was staying with my sister, and she had to call people to find out and get the phone number. And she felt driven to do it because she had had a dream. And the and she recounted the dream to me, and she didn't understand any of it. But the details were in direct, a direct answer to my petition. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and I always felt that she had the dream because if I had had it, I would never know. Did I... Did I have the dream because I wanted to have the dream? Mm-hmm. But to have a stranger tell you things yes. that she didn't understand was a very, very profound so experience. So Willis was communicating to you through I got her. a message, yeah. And I do it all the time now. If I have a dream for you, for instance, yes. I, I do. I call people up and I say, look, you know, I dreamt this and this and this because you don't know. Yes, it could yes. Be. It could be something very profound for them. Yes, and we should probably tell listeners a little bit about Lilith because there are a lot of people who are new to this content who listen to the show. Um, so Lilith is a goddess um, from... Oh, I've had people argue about that too. You know, oh, that go, she's not a goddess? Yes, yes. I have people, you know, people get very... And I tell them to tell that to her. But um, um, people get very caught up in semantics. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and different beings show different sides of themselves to mm-hmm. different people. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I can say who I think 
or my experience and you can see your experience and someone listening might have a totally different experience and it doesn't negate your experience. Okay, so why don't you tell us what who Lilith is to you? The the Lilith in in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, there are actually two creation stories. You know, there's the story where um Adam and Eve where you know Eve comes from the rib, but if you go back before a little bit before that, there is a story about a male and a female being born together from earth simultaneously and that is interpreted as being Lilith and that is one origin story for her and um, it is sort of the first divorce she um, there's there's a bit of a power struggle between her and Adam and she is out of there she she escapes the Garden of Eden voluntarily and goes to the Red Sea and is is, is a very independent wild free spirit then there are also earlier stories of her in the hymns to Inanna. Mm-hmm. She is uh, she is a being in Mesopotamia, and you know there are those who'll say she's a demon or that she's a very certain kind of a you know you know the scholarly among us will use the the Sumerian term or you know, mm-hmm. and um, she she appears there as well also as a wild free spirit. Mm-hmm. She lives in trees, and. She is a spirit then who who is common to the Semitic areas. She is in Iraq and in Mesopotamia, and there are um, all sorts of stories of her. But she has become, Lilith is to Jewish folklore as Baba Yaga is to Russian mm-hmm, folklore. Mm-hmm. She is both the, um, the boogie woman and the dreaded person, but also a heroine. Yes. And um, there is a wonderful book called uh, Lilith's Cave by Howard Schwartz, which is folktales. And uh, in the folktales are often embedded instructions for how you work with her. How fabulous. And my understanding of her is that she's become kind of adopted as a goddess of witches because she is a deity that is related to darkness, magic, the south winds, owls, queen of the night, exactly. But this isn't actually recent because uh, the euphemism for witches in Yiddish if translated as daughters of Lilith. Ooh, so I this isn't that. this isn't just like oh like you know ten years ago somebody came up with this yeah yeah this this has actually has some history to it how she fantastic. is she is a witch she she transgresses all these rules of you know how how women are supposed to behave when they're menstruating and you know in cultures where women keep their hair very neat mm. Lilith. In a lot of stories, they don't actually name her. It's like, you know, Baba Yaga's auntie in the woods. And uh, Lilith is, you know, she has beautiful hair or she has disheveled hair or she has both. But she's got she's got loose hair. And, you know, as with witches, I think Lilith, you know, has been demonized quite literally. Oh, and, and she is the queen of demons. Some yes. people think she's a vampire, the first vampire. Yes, I've heard she's the mother of demons. Um, Vampirella. She's Vampirella's mother, I think, in, or, or in the in Daughter of Dracula comics. <laughs> Love it. Lilith shows, I mean, she has this life. She shows up in all these TV shows and movies and comic books yep. and novels, uh, often very negatively. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm a little, you know, she's... Uh, She's she's also a guardian. Mm-hmm. She's also a guardian um, and and a and a protective spirit, but not necessarily, you know. In the same way as Baba Yaga, you can't, you know, is she a cannibal? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you it, it, softening her is is not doing her a service. Yes, but that's what I love about 
her about Baba Yaga, about witches in general, is there is that ambiguity there. And very much this idea that, you know, we're not all good. None of us are all good. I have an issue with um, people who are very quick to say I'm a white witch, Mm. which first of all, what does that mean? You know, I, I, I don't, I don't approve of using certain colors to indicate evil because Mm -hmm. that doesn't clearly history shows us that doesn't lead good places exactly but it's also like having a cat you know hi i'm a toothless clawless cat don't worry you know you have your power we have to trust people to use it ethically yes and you are not someone who necessarily hexes other people correct what is your standpoint on that kind of magic Um, i don't know would you call it left-handed magic i'm not a judgy person so i mean i i don't i'm not the pope of witchcraft (laughs) uh i I can tell you for myself personally i think if you are working from positions of love and respect you are okay Mm -hmm. if you find yourself you know all of us have a bad day sometimes and all of us sometimes do things out of anger but you shouldn't be doing it a lot. Mm -hmm. If you are constantly working out of anger, it will also attract certain types of beings to you. Mm. And um, it will, beyond any ethics, it is not good for you. It is not healthy for you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are, um, if you are very fearful, if you are very angry, uh, you know, we live, I I live in a world, we live in a world uh, that is full of spirits all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. There's no such thing as empty space. And so, you want to be radiating, if you're radiating sort of good energy, the ones that like that will stay with you. Mm-hmm. If you're radiating fear, the ones who eat that will come and they will encourage you to be fearful mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, you're, you're supplying them with their energy. Yes. So I try not to, but I, you know, in 5,000 spells, um, so my first two spell books have no hexes. She so said, I'm not going to teach you to do it. Yeah. I, I'm not going to teach you how to do the black cat bone. I'm not going to teach you how to do, you know, whatever kind of animal cruelty spells and i'm not going to teach you any hexes or curses because if you're angry no one has to teach you Mm -hmm. if you are angry enough you don't need anybody to teach you Mm. it'll just come out of you Mm. but when i started writing five thousand spells i had a chapter of protection spells and a lot of it is protection from other people's magic and i realized that if you don't have a context for it it just looks like all these people are being hysterical Mm. and so i you know I do have a chapter of hexes in there. And, um, you know, sometimes a hex is a protection spell. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a hex is a justice spell. Mm -hmm. If people have done terrible things to you and there is no justice, or to a loved one, and there is no justice, maybe that's your moment to put it out there to the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, That... I like the way you're framing it, though, because for me, and I'm just speaking 100% personally, and you or listeners might disagree, I don't feel comfortable hexing other people. Um, But I love the idea of doing a spell for justice. I give it up to Hecate. Yes, exactly. You know, you go out under the dark moon. I I find that I try not to be too specific. I mean, unless I know for sure. You know, John Doe, I try not to say... John Doe, because, you know, every once in a while, you you know, you think John Doe did it. And years later, you know, forensic evidence yes. shows that, you know, it was John yes. Doe. Not, I mean, yes. you know, Joseph Doe, not John Doe yes. or whatever. Yes. So, you know, you could be making a mistake. So, um, but I, I will often ask for the, the perpetrator or the perpetrator is known or unknown. Bring them justice. But I love that. You're not saying I want to harm them. You're saying 
bring them Look, justice. I, I, I really appreciate witchcraft that. Witchcraft gets a bad rap. Spells get a bad rap. You know, all these evil witches, evil spells. But, you know, there are a lot of kinds of power in the world. There's political power. There's sheer brute force. There's financial power. If you have those things, they're much more effective. Mm-hmm. It is much more effective. If you're really angry at someone, you know, and you've got a baseball bat in your closet, you pr- <laughs> you know, that's a much more direct way. You know, people talk about hexing, but th- that person is not going out to, like, shoot them. They're exactly. just, you know... We're not condoning hitting anybody with a bat. No, I but I'm from New York. To say. <laughs> but I am from New York, and I know what people do. Yes, people magic spells have traditionally been the, the provenance of the disenfranchised and the oppressed and the powerless. And if they had billions of dollars to take care of their problems, it's a faster way of doing it. Mm-hmm. If you can just force people to do what you want or buy your way into things, it is faster and easier. Magic is often difficult. It is, you know, the hoodoo people call it working because you are working. You mm-hmm. should be tired after a spell. Mm-hmm. And it's unpredictable. And it doesn't always, even though, yes, it works. And yes, I can I can tell you all my success stories, but it, it's not always predictable and it's not always on the time frame you want. That's what I was going to say. It's like transcendent of time and space. So sometimes it shows up in yeah. other ways or way down the road or a different shape than I mean, you sometimes it works out better than you expected. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, one spell leads to another. Often, you know, you... you um, I will tell you that all my child support spells work. And I, I know that for me. My, I mean, they work for me. Mm-hmm. My, but, but you know, um, somebody angry enough. Um, but then, you know, the response to being garnished was total rage. And so you need to go from one spell to the spell that calms somebody down because there's no point having, you know, getting money if you're not going to be alive to actually use it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. The Witch Wave is brought to you by Vera Meat. Vera Meat creates super magical and super modern jewelry, clothing, and accessories. They have a vast collection of stylish jewels for divination and spellcraft, such as their diamond back snake ring, which is said to help with astral travel, and their signature Vera Talisman pendant, which is a female figure who has symbols of blessing and protection engraved all over her body. And Vera Meat loves our guest Judica Illis so much that they wanted to do something special to celebrate her. And so they are offering, get this, 50% off their entire site. That's 50% off their entire site of wonderful witchy items when you use offer code WITCH. So go to verameat.com, that's vera, M-E-A-T, like the food, dot com, and use offer code WITCH to get 50% off today. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. I'm here speaking with Judica Illis. So Judica, we were just talking about hexes and good magic and quote-unquote bad magic. Um, I have to ask, you know, we have this person who is the head of our country, who many people have problems with. And, you know, whether or not you are pro him or con him, if you're if you're listening, know that a lot of people are against this guy. I think that's fair enough to say. And a lot of people feel that he is really deeply threatening 
to not just equality, but to people's actual safety. So there has been this spell that's been going around called, um, what is it? The The spell to bind Trump. Yeah, the spell to bind Trump. And it happens allegedly every new moon. And I don't need you to comment specifically on that spell, but I, I am wondering when there is a force that feels so big and so overwhelming, you know, when it's about the state of the world, not just something personal in your life, but something that feels bigger, you know, we have huge problems to conquer, not just paying our bills, right? It's also the environment, it's, you know, people becoming disenfranchised, and I don't have to list it all. What do you recommend for people who want to feel as though they are helping the light shine and helping, you know, this negative energy dissipate? Well, there are a couple different things. I mean, in the simplest, the simplest is to, you know, what is what is the saying about being the change you want to see Mm -hmm. that each of us can do what we can as individuals to um, to live our lives the way we think they should be lived and to be examples for other people. And, you know, to do as much good as we can in in the best way that we can. Mm -hmm. And we're all, we all have our own situations and some of us can do more than others. Yes. And I'm going to tell you something maybe popular and maybe something that's unpopular. This is just about the spell casting process. One, uh, the casting of spells itself, I think, is a beneficial thing. It should be an empowering thing. It should be something, you know, there's that old thing on the Charm TV show with, you know, not for personal gain, but that's a total lie. Spells are all for personal gain. And that sometimes the best thing about spell casting is you find your own power. It is a journey to yourself to discover what your powers are, what's your own individual and and so i think people should do whatever is best for them and makes them feel less hopeless less despondent more powerful Mm -hmm. that said here might be the less popular thing the mechanics of spell casting the thing you need is a goal when you start a spell the thing that you know is in every spell but maybe it's not in all the spell books my own too is at the end you want to see, you want to see your goal accomplished. What what exactly is it? And the more specific you can make it, the more likely it is to work in the way that you want it to work. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes your spells that are um, fear-based, oh my God, I don't want to die. Oh my God, I want someone to come home. Oh my God, I, you know, I, I, I want someone to love me. If it is so specific, often you have a good chance of it working. Hmm. The problem with group spells is that whether it is three people or an entire nation or the world, it is sometimes very difficult to coordinate that goal at the end. Mm. Uh, what I, what The end result I see may not actually be the end result somebody else sees. Mm-hmm. And so it is a very difficult to do thing to do together as a group. Mm. Um, although I, I, comprehend, I comprehend the attempt and I comprehend how it is good for the people who are actually doing it. Mm-hmm. But if you, if, you, if you want to be effective, you know, if you're doing things quietly and individually and, and just sort of getting it done in a very direct way is the most effective way. Mm. Then how do you feel about covens and how do you feel about people who yeah, But are... covens aren't just about spells. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, it's an interesting thing. Every once in a while, it is good to do things in a group. 
sometimes um, there is more power in a group. Mm -hmm. You put your energy together, Mm -hmm. but not for everything. Okay. And sometimes, you know, people are complicated. Um, Let's just say you want to spell for more success, but somebody in that coven loves you and wants what's best for you and thinks if you have this kind of success, you're going to leave them. Mm. So even though they, you know, people are, they're complex and they're often conflicted. They may mean well, Mm -hmm. you know, often we... We think we want, we're, we're asking for something we think we want, but in our heart, we really don't want it. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I'm going to try to get that job, but oh my God, I really don't want that job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it's it's complicated. So have you always been a solitary practitioner? No, I've been in a coven. So I mean, I, I know from yeah, experience. Yeah. I know from experience because I have seen some really successful group spells. Yeah. I was in a small informal coven, uh, four witches, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we did some good work. But it was very, very specific and it was things that people were not conflicted about. Okay. Okay. Um, so just having that clarity yeah. of intention and making sure everyone's on the same page and clear-hearted and clear-eyed is yeah, really key when you're doing really group want work. What you want, and um, you know, covens are about more than the spells. You know, there's there's there are there are a lot of there are a lot of components to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and there are things that you would do together, and maybe there are things that are very effective if you do them by yourself. Mm-hmm. Your secret desires. So I have to say, you know, I know you were not actually born in 1919, <laughs> but you know, you you are seasoned. You've it's seen, okay. You've you seen, know, it's all over my social media. It's it's. I have no secrets. So you've seen yeah. the kind of ebb and flow of witchcraft. I, and you've I was seen very it. young in the 70s, but I do. I remember the 60s. I remember the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right now we're in this moment where witchcraft, at least from my perspective, is very much on the rise. Yeah. you know we have instagram witches it's fashionable and, now yeah yeah it's coming and, to fashion yeah tumblr yes. witches yeah. and yeah. you know we're seeing witchy it's cool yeah it's yeah. it's it's yeah. cool yeah. it's top of mind it's great yeah and i think there's a yeah. lot of great work I being done like that. <laughs> i hope so too but but i do have to ask you know what is your perspective as someone who has seen witchcraft kind of um, wax and wane in popularity over the years. Why is it that sometimes it's more in the collective psyche? Oh, and, and what do you make of this new kind I think, of witchcraft? I think it's, who knows? It's in the air. You know, I think if you've got an astrologer here, they could probably give you some, some really interesting thoughts on why witchcraft becomes popular. It's, you know, why the ebb and flow when it is. Mm-hmm. I I think it's wonderful. I I... I think, I think the problem comes that at times when it's popular, sort of. I think a lot of I, I don't want to say bottom feeders because they're not all bottom feeders, but um, I'll, I'll, people see prop people who are not necessarily committed to it do see profit in it, mm-hmm. and they kind of come, which which as with everything else, yes, and um, and then when they're not making enough money, they leave, mm-hmm. and I think the people who are really committed will stay whether it's popular or not Mm -hmm. and i think there are people who are maybe having fun with it Mm -hmm. and that's great too yeah doesn't hurt anybody even even if this is a phase and you move on to another phase you know that i i hope it was empowering and i hope it was helpful and i hope that people who see witchcraft and witches as something um fashionable and as something positive even if they move on to something else I, I hope that, you know, the history of witchcraft is one of persecution. And the witches are the persecuted, not the persecutors, despite 
you know, all the propaganda, I hope that it, it buys us safety. Mm-hmm. I hope that people look at this and go, oh, well, that's cool. You know, we don't have to bother. We don't have to be afraid of these people. We don't have to bother these people. Yes. Let, let them just, let them be. Yes. And I, I think that's that's the goal. Yeah. I mean, that that's what I think about all the time, too, whenever someone um, is perhaps, I don't know, rolling their eyes or trivializing the popularity. It's like, well, what an amazing thing yeah. that we can do this out in the open right what a, now. What a wonderful thing that we're doing this out in the open. We're having this interview. Yes. And my cat is meowing. <laughs> uh, she just loves it. She agrees with everything we're I, saying. I mean, I hope that, you know, and in, in young, young people, young women can... You say I'm a witch and not expect like, you know, to be locked up. Yes. Because historically that's what's you know, you you've had to say you're not a witch. Of course. You know, we were talking earlier about Elizabeth Pepper, who um is the founder of the Witch's Almanac and she um has written about her early life in a family. They never used the word witch. It was just the just the things we do. Mm-hmm. And the the fear of using that word, the fear, of, and it's still even now with all the popularity, it's still an insult world. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot people people use that word as a pejorative, mm-hmm. and um, which I take very seriously, and I I, I don't have a sense of humor about it. Mm. Uh, you know, so it, it's not universal, and there are still you know it may be popular on Instagram and Tumblr in America, but there are women in India, and in Saudi Arabia. And throughout Africa, who are being killed and persecuted and, and just terrible, terrible things, because whether or not they are witches, but someone has, somehow they have been branded a witch. Yes. You know, it's not enough to be a witch. Somebody, you just have to somehow be witchy to the wrong people. Yes. And yes. so I, I think we're very lucky and very privileged in a good way. And uh, I, I think it's something worth protecting. I think so too. And I just think someone like yourself who has written so many books, I mean, we're running out of time because I just have so much I want to talk to you about. Well, you know, one of the but, things with 5,000 yes, Spells, yes. When I, one of the ways they convinced me to do it and the follow-up, the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, is that I, was, I felt that I was writing it from inside because too many times people are outsiders are writing about other people who are witches, mm-hmm. but I was able to write from within yes. about my people. Yes, and um, and I, I hope that's something that continues, and more of us have that opportunity. I mean, it's just an incredible legacy that you know you're creating here, Judica, not just with your four encyclopedias, but you know you've written the Wiser Field Guide to Witches. You have all. We didn't even talk about your fiction life and love with the Wiser Book of Occult Detectives and the Wiser Book of the Fantastic and the Forgotten. And one of the things I love about you is not only do you write so beautifully about witches, but you also celebrate witches in pop culture. Yeah, I know. You gave a really amazing talk at the occult humanities conference on blues music and witchcraft yeah. like you're you are a living encyclopedia uh, yourself so i really hope that you'll come back i am a woman of, of, of many passions <laughs> yes but but i love that about you i love that about you and it really is such a gift and you know to see someone like yourself who's so so damn smart and scholarly and yet who lives out loud and um, is making witchcraft accessible without watering it down. I mean, that's an act of magic in itself. So I'm so grateful to you, Judica. 
Oh, you're going to make me cry, Pam. Thank you. Of course. Um, and just quickly, you know, what's next for you? I'm Where writing can people... another book. Oh. I am writing another book, which will not be out until 2019, late in 2019. Okay. But I'm writing another big book and uh, more spells, and I hope people like it. Yes. And uh, I'm cutting down on the teaching, but I, I do have some events planned for this year. And uh, You travel know. all over the place. You're on the conference circuit yeah. the witch I love pagan to teach. conference I, lo- I like circuit. to go out and meet people yeah I, I like that you know because then I sit in a room and by myself and you know weep and write <laughs> for months yes yes so it's, it, it's nice. nice to have the human contact absolutely a hundred percent um and if people want to find out more about you and your upcoming events and books where's the best place for them uh, to I, go I'm all over the place online my website is my name dot com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and I started an Instagram that I haven't quite figured out yet, but I'm learning, and uh, and, and I'm, I'm not that hard to find. And I, but I apologize, because when I'm writing, I am so slow to answer. Mm-hmm. But, 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 you know, I try. <laughs> Eventually, yes. I will, I hope. Well, I know you get, you get so many petitions and requests and emails as well, so I think people understand. I, but, I, but I feel very blessed and grateful that people feel comfortable writing to me. Yes. So yes. I, I'm not complaining. Yes, you're. Very... I, I just, I just, you know, I just need clones. <laughs> yes, you need an army of ghostly witches yeah. to fly around and help do your correspondence yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, Judica, there's so much more that I want to talk to you about. I sincerely hope that you'll come back and we can continue the conversation. And I just thank you so much. Thank for... you, Pam just your writing and for being here today. You're such an inspiration. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Judica Illes for joining me. I know it took us a few tries to schedule this, but the third time was definitely the charm. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. The Witch Wave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Chiquita Pascal. Thank you, Chiquita, and myself. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots and lots of sparkly stars. It makes a huge difference. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have an iPhone, you really might love my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin tones, genders, and colors by searching for Witch Emoji, all one word in the App Store, or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.